Hello and welcome to the Paddock Pass podcast. It's the last round of World SBK. Myself, Steve English and Gordon Ritchie were here in Qatar in the middle of the desert. And Gordon, it really has felt like we're being in the middle of the desert this week. This has been as hot as I can ever remember it here. Oh, it's unreal. Um, it was after all the crazy weather last year. It's just been crazy hot this year. I mean, as soon as you get out of the car, as soon as you walk out of the hotel, as soon as you walk in the pit lane, it's just like woof. I mean, it is. It's seriously hot. It feels hotter than it, it says on the screens. It is, um, and even the breeze is hot. And even this morning, I'm sure I can hear the rumble of thunder. I see a big, big cloud over the horizon. And it's still baking hot. It's not changed in any way. Yeah, it's uh, at the moment, we're recording this just as warm-up is about to start for the Superbike class. So it's around about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. It's 33, 34 degrees. We're lucky today, actually, because the humidity's dropped down. That's been unbelievable this week. I've never seen it like this because, obviously, Gordy, you've been coming here at this time of year since 2014 when World SBK returned for the night races. I've been coming here for the GP and for Superbikes pretty much since 2012 was my first GP out here. And I've never had this warm uh, yeah I'd say it's right up there um, we've had as I say some kind of slightly mad weather but this is consistently the hottest uh, weather that I can remember but I've also been here when we had the worst rain I ever remember at any racetrack in my life it's a toss up between last year and it may actually have been a test rather than a race and I can tell you the place was two inches deep in water because even though the drains were fine, it just there was nowhere for it to go. I've never seen rain like it. And I come from Scotland. <laughs> well, I tell you what, when an Irishman and a Scotsman come out into the middle of the desert, it's a big challenge for us, Gordo. I found it really hard this week. Uh, I don't mind the heat. For a big lad, and I am unfortunately a very big lad, um, I actually don't mind the heat. But then again, I'm not digging holes in the road. And I've always got a nice air-conditioned garage or media centre or hospitality or whatever to dive into to get out of it when it gets too bad but I don't mind the heat but it must be hard work for the riders and even at night time you're still getting riders talking about the heat of the, the, the racetrack itself the heat of the air uh, the, the, because the effect that has on the tyres over the full duration of the race but the weirdest thing is because of the humidity you mentioned earlier a lot of riders have been saying that they're actually getting misting on the outside of the visor, a combination of the humidity and the dust in the air and the dust being kicked off the other riders' tyres. Jonathan Ray in the first day said that he actually had to come in and get new peel-offs in one of the sessions because it was starting to get opaque on him. Um, but just because of the humidity, it was sticking all the dust to his visor. It's been very, in its own way, although the track seems in pretty good condition now, uh, quite a challenging race for the riders to get their, their, their heads around with a few things that they don't normally experience. Well, I'll tell you what, Gordo, you said you were, you're not out digging holes in, in this kind of weather. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the fact that I was digging holes this week. I went out golfing for a couple of days and I don't think I've ever played so badly and I'm putting it solely down to being really dehydrated. So I've got a lot of sympathy for the riders this weekend for what they're going through. But they are going through an awful lot here as well because this is after what we had in Argentina. This is another track that always takes a bit of time to rubber in. But it surprised everyone just how much grip there was right away here, really. We were down in fast times in FP1. Yeah, even the first day, uh, things seem to be going pretty well for those that had a good setup. Um, things have closed up a bit now and gone even a little bit faster. Uh, we weren't faster than last year's uh, best times and previous best times, but the track seems pretty good. I just think it's the heat, the extra heat that we've got during the day translates to a bit of extra heat at night, and I think that's just going to have an effect uh, in terms of the actual outright lap times and what the riders have to think about to get to the end of the race. Ten lap race coming up, and that's they're not going to have to worry about that. As I think Jonathan described it yesterday, is ten laps of Super Bowl. You know, now that the pressure's off for him, 
he's just going to look at it as right okay just go flat out for 10 laps to see how it is well, I'll tell you what he was under pressure yesterday the opening half of the race Alex Lowe's right in his tail the second half of the race Chaz Davis coming through the pack yeah it was uh, it was very interesting because neither of those guys quite got past Jonathan uh, and I think ultimately that was management on his behalf I think he maybe had a little bit even though he said it wasn't perfect and he said it wasn't I think he had a little bit left um, he was conserving his tyres when he, and he, he kept Alex behind him um, I've actually just this morning gone through all their comments from yesterday again uh, and then Chaz again Chaz I think just used up a little bit too much tyre because he had to come through from 14, uh, 12th to 4th although he seemed to do most of that in the, the first half a lap and then the, the first lap um, but yeah he just didn't quite have the tyre to get Jonathan although his bike was much improved so we might see uh, more great things from Chaz this weekend but even looking towards winter testing Chaz seems a lot more happy now even though he's, he's way down in the championship compared to where he would be normally um, and I think he's looking forward to a proper winter with his bike after the experience of this year and after losing last winter through injury through new bike lots of things spoiled this year for Chaz obviously for Chaz as well this is the fifth round in a row where he's made that big step like I think it's pretty clear now that Chaz understands that bike or at least he knows how to get it into the right window for him Laguna Port de Mao Magnicor San Juan here in Qatar there are five very different tracks very different conditions and he's been able to be a podium contender at each of those rounds now Yes, but not in each race and not all the time. I think that's the next stage for them. Yes, they're much closer to where they need to be to get that bike correct, and he has put in great performances at each of these rounds. But Chaz being Chaz is, is very dependent on how the bike's working. When Chaz has got a bike that works well, uh, he'll practice well, as well as doing, doing a good job in the races. He always does a good job in the races because he's who he is, he's got the talent he has, and he can overcome problems. But Chaz really he knows he's going to have a weekend when he has a good Friday he can make up for it like he did yesterday um, but there's still work to do in that bike but I think they are now 90% of where they're going to get with it and I think this season genuinely Chaz started season about 50% of showing his genuine potential on the way the bike was and obviously we're already looking forward to next season obviously there's another two races left there's one day left of the season but we're already looking towards next year Davis and Scott Redding's going to be an interesting partnership Redding's had his first few days on the bike with full electronics and he came off just talking about the bike being unbelievable down in Valencia yeah um, I've not been party to any of that really I've been in my little bubble here um, preparing for this race and in this race but I think he's the most exciting prospect to come here not necessarily just for the riding ability although obviously he's got buckets of that it's just that he's obviously such a character he should shake things up it's always good to get new people on Superbike there are some uh, voices from outside that say that the riders are all too old and they've got a point I mean there is a point to that you know, we need to bring in more young riders and, and more new. If we can't get the youngest riders, let's get the let's get different riders. Let's shake things up by moving people around, and that's going to happen for next year as well, as it did a bit this year. So, you know, it's fantastic if if he's going to translate anything like the form he showed in BSB to this paddock. We're in for a treat next year. He's going to be a podium guy all the time. No, and. Just looking at the rider that he's going to replace for next year, Alvaro Bautista. Yesterday was a struggle for Bautista. It surprised me because I thought after he'd done his long run on, on uh, I was about to say Friday practice there, obviously Thursday practice here in Qatar, but after he did his long run and free practice too, it looked like he had that confidence that we've seen from him in, in the past. Obviously, Qatar is probably the track even 
with regards to all the Spanish tracks, this is the one he probably knows best on the calendar, either here or when Superbikes used to go to Sepang. They're the tracks where you do most of the winter testing for MotoGP. So he's done more miles here than just about anyone. So for him to come here and struggle like he did in race one was a surprise for me. Yes, uh, especially given the speed he had down the straight, which was quite... Uh, it was eye-watering yesterday when he passed the formula last night. Everybody just burst Oh, Pass Keenan, did he? Either, either, uh, t- sorry, sorry. Pass guy. I, know, I know it looked like Top Rack was on a 600 there. Sorry, sorry, sorry. sorry. It's, uh, my, my body clock's still not quite right. <laughs> he said, making excuses. When, when he passed Top Rack, it was just unbelievable. It was everybody either burst into tears or burst out laughing. You know, depending on which side of the fence you were on, or, or whether he were just laughing at the the silliness of it all. I was a bit too polite on air. I said it looked like he was giving up a couple of hundred cc's. It looked like he was just on a six hundred top rack really, and Bautista just blast past them. And that's the advantage we've seen on the Ducati through this year. But when you look at Bautista everywhere else around this track, he just looks nervous on the bike. He looks like he just didn't have the confidence in it, and it just doesn't seem like it suits his riding style. I was talking to a couple of different riders about it, and they were saying that a lot of it here is that he's so reliant on using the rear brake rather than the electronics to try and use the engine brake and that the bike is almost just skidding into the corners rather than decelerating like you see from someone like Chaz Davis who's the same on corner entry very much dependent on the front with the rear end sliding around Yes and riding style dictates a lot here because the corners are big and wide and fast and in theory you can get around them any way you want but ultimately depending on conditions depending on line there are only uh, a certain there's only one if, if the conditions are a certain way there's only one way to ride and this track it does not suit certain riding styles at all if you're relying on hard braking pitching it in and going round it's all even the slow corners are big and wide here so the riders that ride smoothly have got space to operate in so it's, it's definitely some people said that this rider this rider and this rider would, would struggle here and so far that's actually turning out relatively true yeah there's some riders that are always talked about when you talk to engineers about who impresses them for being smooth who impresses them for being aggressive who impresses them for different things all riders always come to pretty much the same conclusion about whenever they're following someone who's impressive when you talk to the engineers that work with them they all seem to come to pretty much the same conclusion as well and there's a few riders that are always talked about for being really smooth whenever you chat to people Alex Lowe's always talked about it in that regard from from other riders when you talk about riders that are aggressive it's the likes of Top Rack Michael Vandermark and a few others that are, are like that and as you said the smoothness seems to allow you to get to the front of the field here you saw that yesterday with Lowe's he's been fast all the way through the weekend whereas the two riders he's challenging for that third in the championship maybe that aggressive style just doesn't really suit this track Yes, um, and Alex has worked on that in the last few years. You can see how he's actually he's more he sits differently on the bike than he did even three years ago. He he's cornering. He spent an awful lot of time coaching himself and with the input of other people to be more smooth, be less aggressive. One, it probably helps you to stop as many crashes as you would have. You're not having as many harsh inputs to the bike, and therefore finding a slippery bit of tarmac or whatever. Um, but you look at Michael, the funny thing about Michael is when you look at Michael himself, absolutely just serene. He's not doing anything. Look at the bike underneath him and it's everywhere. Hager was a bit like that. Hager kind of just sat on the bike, pushed it around, but when Hager was going really fast, the bike was just in knots. But Hager was just sitting on top of it like, no problem. 
Um, so it is interesting, to, and you can get fooled by that into thinking that somebody's got a smooth riding style when they, they themselves, the way they hold themselves on the bike, is smooth. So you have to actually look at what the bike's doing to understand people's riding style as much as what the rider's doing sometimes. And um, we saw in the open race the weekend, obviously, by the time this podcast comes out, everyone's going to know what's going to happen in that scrap for third. But we saw in that open race the weekend a big gap between Lowe's back to Vandermark. And obviously, Toprak had his mistake, but he would have been in that fight with Vandermark. And Mikey was struggling a lot. He said afterwards with rear grip on that corner entry. So maybe he's going to be able to make that step for today's races. And he, he could get himself into that fight as well. Podium man here last year. Yes, um, he knows what he has to do for today, so we could see a much closer fight between those two guys. Um, Alex was happy with the setup, but he wasn't 100% happy, so he might make changes, and if that changes in the wrong direction, if there's a little change in track temperature, then the roles could be reversed today. Nothing, nothing whatsoever is decided in that fight for third, uh, which is great for us, because we're going to get to see a, a great scrap between all those guys. And it's actually what's kept, you know, with all the championships uh, being decided, now it's something that we can really get our teeth into, looking at the, the 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 last two races here in the end of the season there's two races left in the old days we would have had one race left and now we've got two so there's still a lot can be, can happen in that fight for third but I think Lowe's did an awful lot of good for himself yesterday to, to you know the pressure was on and he reacted to it and even when he got past even when he couldn't catch Jonathan and then when Chaz came past us he didn't freak out he didn't try too hard he just said okay it's not my day take the points it was interesting talking to him afterwards because obviously all the way through this weekend when you talk to any of those three riders you're talking about that fight for third and uh, as always with with Vandermark whenever you chat to Mikey he's, he's always just looking to have a bit of a joke a bit of a laugh and uh, you ask him like, what would third in the, in the championship mean to you and he just, he just says like, I'm building a new house I need the bonus and uh, I was chatting to Alex about it yesterday as well and um, he was saying that uh, third in the world would be great but if he's got a chance to win a race on Sun on Saturday, he really wants to be able to take that as more important than trying to finish third in the world. And I think also, ultimately, in his position, we know where he's going next year, and he's not going to a bad bike or a bad team. Uh, so he's kind of, it doesn't really matter. It's not like he has to finish third to keep his ride or get another ride or, or anything else. It is pride and money we're talking about here in the, la the, the last few races. And as a racer, he needs to win a race. All racers need to win a race. He's a factory rider, and they're all expected to win. Every one of them, not just Alex. So, yeah, you you give him a choice of third in the situation he's in now, or winning a race. And if it was me, I'd be going for the race one. I myself, being much more of a tight Irishman, obviously you're an opulent Scotsman. I would, I'd be looking for the big bonus. No, I'm a corpulent Scotsman. Um, opulence has evaded me. Um, what we what what racers race for is the thrill of winning. That, that's all they do it for. Everything else is a very nice bonus, sometimes literally, sometimes figuratively. But ultimately, all these guys want to do is stand in that top step and be better than the next guy. It's what makes them get up in the morning. They're not office workers. They're exceptional human beings. And they want to win races. That's all they do. It's what their job is. Job's not riding. Their job is winning. That's it, exactly. You mentioned earlier on as well, Gordo, that we're used to coming here to the final day of the season with one race left. Now we've got the Super Bowl race as well. We've had... 12, well, we've had uh, 12 rounds with Super Pole races. Obviously, we've had one cancelled this year in Aston, but uh, we've got experience now of what that Super Pole race is. 10 lap shootout. Now that we're through the season, pretty much, what do you think of that format? How's it worked out for you? 
Uh, I want to have two races on Sunday. I want to go not back to the way we were. I just think it builds up to a big, uh, a big show on Sunday, which I, I think all we've done is like split the vote. If if it was a political campaign, we'll split the vote between do you go Saturday, do you go Sunday? Yes, if you go on Saturday now, you've got a, a race to watch and a proper big important race to watch. All these things are good, but the trouble is, I think it has actually taken something away as much as it's given if we're going to have races let's have races for track position or grid position let's have races for the privateers only and you get three points two points one point for a win uh, let's have another race for super sport guys and maybe not send them off to one of the long hauls and they get a reduced budget and there's a hundred ways of doing it my preference and it does actually seem to be the preference of most of the riders and it's not nostalgia is to have two big races on Sunday. That's it. Yeah, for me, just because I like the stats and the history of racing, I'd like to see it where we have the Super Bowl session on Saturday, and then that just sets your grid for a Super Bowl race Saturday afternoon, and then that doesn't count for your stats. It's just, you then move on to Sunday, you've got two races, 50 points up for grabs. We still get to three races through the weekend. Tiso still get to call it a Tiso Super Bowl race. I think that would be the best of both worlds. And it, I think it would be good just to be able to see where you need to then have your race craft about you to be able to make sure you're in a good position for the races on Sunday. Yes, and it also means that you've just got a bigger show on Sunday. You've got a big climactic show. The fans will come from the first day to the last day, the hardcore, you know, and there's a numbers of those and that's fine. But in terms of are we going to a race, I mean, would you watch a football, would you go to a football game and watch the first half on a Saturday afternoon and the second half on a Sunday? I would I would have for Ireland against the All Blacks last week. <laughs> yeah, sure, but I mean, ultimately, that it, it's... I don't think the issue with World Superbike was anything to do with the format of how the races were on or anything else. I understand they're trying to generate more interest. I always think it's easier to do these things when you've got the underlying aspect of the formula 100% right. And again, I've said it many times, there's nothing wrong here. The, 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 the championship's never been better. It's just operating under the massive umbrella of MotoGP. Um, and that's the, the biggest hassle it's got, is MotoGP's a much bigger championship and it's got bigger. World Superbike is, um, has got, some would say, a self-imposed limit, but ultimately uh, people just don't go to sporting events in the same numbers they used to. And if you're a motorcyclist around the world and you've got a choice, you generally go to MotoGP, Valentino Rossi, and so on. You go to the bigger thing. But there's nothing wrong in this championship from that. What, what would improve the crowd figure is marketing, is finding ways of sh- getting people here and showing them how they get such access to the riders and things you don't get in other championships and other classes. Um, that, to me, is where we need to start keying into things. Not the format, not anything else, but I do think it would help to have two races back on a Sunday and a big day. If you're going to go to World Superbike, Sunday's the day, or the final day's the day. And um, what do you think of the actual... Super Bowl race then do you like watching it oh, I like the 10 lap thing I don't think it's it's uh, cramped things up as much as people expected I think everybody expected that there would be five rider fights in every single race I think some people expected that race is not like that you know if you can let someone who knows what they're doing make the bike a bit more extreme for 10 laps instead of 20 well they'll probably still end up on top um and again a lot of it also means that someone like for example Chaz who had 17 laps yesterday to, to get his race sorted from 12th on the grid 
is now suddenly toiling. He's going to have to, if he didn't have such a good start yesterday, he might not have got near the podium. Um, in the 10 lap race, that, that problem doubles. So any potential winning rider actually who is a bad Super Bowl or gets knocked off or something stupid happens is actually toiling. So there's one more competitor that you don't get in a 10 lap race. Uh, I don't mind it, but honestly, I think five laps would be a scrap. I mean, five laps would be everybody full, full noise, elbow to elbow. You, you were just watching Deathmatch before this, were you? No, I don't even know what that is. I don't even know what that is. But then again, you know, there's a lot of things I don't know, mate. Good survival of the fittest, Gordo. That's what we need out there. Aye. Well, all we want to see is good racing. And there is plenty of good racing in the world. But yes, we get strung out races like anybody else does. And everybody else does. This is a great fallacy that every MotoGP race is unbelievable. And every national race is fantastic. It's just a fallacy. Some of them are. And yes, we, we've got work to do. The trouble is we're operating in the era of Jonathan Ray. Literally, it's his era now. And nobody's as good as Ray in this paddock. That, that's been proved over and over. The team's probably the best. The, they've got the very good backup. They've got a bike that's good enough and good enough to do it every year. There's a reason why the, 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 the races are the way they are. Um, or there's a reason why the, the number one guy's up in front all the time and other people join him occasionally. What we need to do is get those other guys to the same level uh, or closer so that you've got five people competing. Yesterday we saw Alex for half a race and Chaz for half a race. What we need to do is get Alex, Chaz, Vandermark, Toprak, etc. Batista up there every race. And for next year obviously as well, Gordo, we're hearing more and more now and more and more is being confirmed for next year. We talked in the last round in Argentina about it looked like Camio was going to be done to Barney. That's a done deal now. It looked like Gerloff to GRT was a done deal. That's a done deal now. It looks like Haslam to Honda is a done deal and we're just waiting for that to be confirmed. Forrest to Pachetti looks like a done deal. The grid's really starting to form up and when you look front to back, it's a very strong and deep field. It really is. Um, and it has been for a while. The, what we're actually doing is, even though we lost Aprilia, uh, we've replaced that with the factory Honda team I mean okay that's a swap and next year it really does seem to be we still don't know details they're still keeping it all very close but we know it's going to be pretty big time next year the bike's already been seen out lapping um, if if that's where Leon's going then that's again that's a good opportunity for him uh, I think the grid next year looks great I think it looks fantastic but I've said that many other years and Jonathan still comes out on top that's what happened when Foggy was racing most of the time if Foggy had stayed on a Ducati he might have won six world championships but he won four because he chopped the Honda and then went away again um, Jonathan hasn't done that and he's still the, the high water mark over a season um, but I think next year's later with opportunities and possibilities when you look at every single good team next year is going to have a good rider it might not be the good rider they had this year but it, it looks good next year it does look really good next year yeah and, and we're hearing more and more about how Gerloff managed to get himself sorted and it really seems that he was willing to leave pretty much all the money on the table just to get the chance to get racing in World SBK he wanted to come to the world stage he wanted to see what he could do at this level rather than staying in Moto America we've seen Cameron Bobier, a rider that's always been talked about as being super talented and he could make it at the world stage he's happy to earn his coins stay at home keep living in America and win a lot of races win his championships nothing wrong with that it's a, it's a business for these riders as much as anything else but for Gerloff he really looks like he's just got that proper hunger yeah and you need that 
you really do need that. You also need to come from something like more to America to hear it exactly the right time in your career. Maybe it's the right time for him. Some people think in America, I talk to people in America, and they think maybe it's a year early for him or two years early for him. But if he really wants to come, at least he's going to come and see what it's like. And if it's a great year next year, fantastic. We've got another good rider from A, from a national championship coming in, and B, an American, which we need... It's such a big country, such an important country in the world uh, for bike sales, for everything else. Um, and we don't have enough of them coming through now. Um, the the issue about him leaving the money on the table is quite right. They can still make a very good living because even though what America isn't what people think the AMA was 20 years ago, 15 years ago, um, it's still, they get paid, properly paid. There's an awful lot of people riding around the World Championships that are bringing money, not getting paid money. And he, so obviously Gerloff has decided, okay, for my career, as you say, the hunger, I just want to do this. And you can't do anything unless you're driven. In this sport, he's driven to come here and do well. His chances of doing well are higher than a guy who might be theoretically more ready or theoretically more talented, but is resenting it because I've been made to do it or I feel I should do it. If he really wants to come and make a mark, he's got a far higher chance of doing it. And uh, I found it interesting actually in the gap between Argentina and here in Qatar. I was able to actually sit down and watch some of the Moto America races from this year because I didn't get to see too many of them. Obviously, when we're in Laguna, you get to see them, and he really impressed at Laguna. And uh, from that point onwards, he's just been really strong. I think when we talked to people in Laguna about him, they all sort of said he needs another year on a superbike. Yeah. But now when you talk to people in America, they are talking more about like, well, what more is he going to learn next year? How much better can he get next year? And he'll make a much bigger improvement coming here and yes. being able to compare himself against Top Rack, Van der Mark, Baz, and uh, maybe someone else as well. But the big thing for um, any of those riders is always just how they're able to come over here and how they're able to adapt and uh, get themselves used to racing in Europe I actually talked to Michael Laverty about it and obviously for Laverty and Davis they both went out to America to race in the AMA championship and uh, they had to adapt to new culture new things like that but what Michael said to me was at least we didn't have to learn a new language yes um, it's always a bit disorientating for Americans to come here because everything in America even though you've got this vast change in climates and, and environments it's quite homogenised you can go to the same uh, same chain store in, in northwest, east and south America of America um, I think it's I think it is more difficult for those guys to uh, to adapt but as long as you've got the attitude that you want to it's fine and again they are actually lucky they speak English because pretty much everywhere you go you'll find somebody in the cafe in the in the, the reception area of the hotel that speaks English so you know it could be worse yeah it's not like if Takahashi comes over which looks like it could be a possibility probably with the Marawaki team if he comes over he doesn't speak an awful lot of English I remember we had to do interviews with him via his suspension engineer and different things like that so if he comes over to try and learn a new culture or learn a new language really difficult for him to try and adapt whereas at least for Gerloff it's a little bit easier Yes and the internet remember you can go and you can absorb yourself into other people's cultures on the internet now you can see what if you want to come to Qatar you can go and watch probably a thousand YouTube videos of what's Qatar like what am I going to experience when I get to Qatar information is, is now out, out there for everything it's a lot easier Wayne Rainey when he came here his first year basically uh, came here and did the whole season uh, in, a, in a motorhome 
he just went from race to race, threw himself into all the different cultures and languages, uh, at doing it, and that's the hard way of doing it. Uh, it wasn't very easy for him, but he actually looks back on that as a as a great time, a great experience, um, which meant that when he did come back on a five hundred, he was already he he done all those hard things, and all he could he could concentrate on the racing a lot more. So, I just think it's it, I think the change in culture is is less now than it ever was. I don't think that's going to be an issue for the guy. All right. Well, just before we get finished up for today's show, Gordon, we'll try and catch up at some stage. Mm-hmm over the winter obviously as well at the various tests but when we look at it as the season is right now if the season finished before the Super Bowl race as we're recording right now who'd be your top riders of the year say your top three riders of the year uh, obviously the the number one rider this year and in, in most years has got to be Jonathan even though he's got all the best stuff and, and all the backup in terms of pure riding talent he's probably the number one in terms of adaptability he's the number one in terms of desire, it's five. This is five. Sometimes people win a world championship and then that's it. They never win another one. They never go to. He's won five in a row. That, think what that takes. And mostly surrounded by the same faces and the same everything. For for multiple reasons, it's got to be Jonathan's number one. Number two, obviously, Batista's second in the in the championship. And it's easy to say, well, he's the next best rider. But something happened in the middle of the year that, that doesn't make me want to, even though I really like the guy and I think he's been a great asset for this championship. I'm really glad he's here and he's the nicest guy I'll ever meet. Um, I kind of don't want to make him the second best rider of the year. Um, but the problem after that is everybody's had their ups and downs. So I could pick Alex because he's, he's third now. I could pick Van der Mark. I could pick Toprak. I might actually pick Toprak as the next guy because of the improvement he's made the breakthrough wins did another one but even his consistency is the one thing that would make me say yeah but is is he automatically going to be the second guy so in terms of one, two, three I think it's too hard to call seriously I just think it's too hard to call not because there's a million candidates for being the second best rider but because all of them have got something that you could go "Mm, yeah but that that at the key point of the season they should have done this easy for us to say and easy to say with hindsight but if you're making me judge the, the one, two, three it's Jonathan out ahead of everybody and then the rest Chaz has had a difficult season and as I say I think Chaz's only issue is that he, he just needs to get the bike right before he can give his best um, and that's been but that's been a tricky bike I would expect it to be this wonder weapon and it is in the hands of somebody who weighs, I don't know, 50 kilos or something and Bautista. Um, it just hasn't been an easy one for Chaz. Top three, let's say, Jonathan, top rack because of his improvement and Alex because he's ultimately, with two rounds to go, he's the guy that's ahead of all the rest. Yeah, for me, I find it hard to argue with that because... Johnny's obviously been flawless through this year and relentless and as you said just having that hunger to actually think that he could still win another championship this year after what had happened because I remember talking to him in May I met him in Dublin at the bike show and he knew or in April it was probably just before Imola and he knew that Imola was the weekend if he was beaten in Imola that was the championship done and he I think he pretty much knew that it was going to be almost impossible to win that championship and he somehow managed to get it done Bautista 
has thrown away a championship so I can't say even with all the wins with all of the dominance that he's shown at times couldn't put him as a top three rider this year because he had the tools at his disposal and just wouldn't settle or couldn't settle or made mistakes when he had chances about being able to take wins or podiums and things like that um, I think top rack because he has been consistent for me he made a big step forward when we got back to Europe and um, from Imola onwards he's been on the podium at every round he's been able to go toe to toe with Johnny and not be afraid of it obviously we saw Vandermark do the same last year whenever he took his first win at Donington it was when he was going up against Johnny as well so I think top rack year two to do what he's done really impressive and then you're looking at a choice between Lowe's and Vandermark and like what we've seen over the last three years with them as teammates Mikey's highs always really impressive his win at Hareth for instance this year really impressive his performance at Magni Corps he might have crashed out of the lead of that race but his performance at Magni Corps was superb up until that he's obviously had that wrist injury that cost him a lot of points when you look at Lowe's he's been consistent all the way through the year hasn't made too many mistakes the big blot in his copybook obviously being Hareth for instance whenever it was obviously a big struggle for him after that instant with Ray but uh, for um, Alex you'd have to look at it and say that uh, if for instance the season finished today to finish third in the world he's done a really good job yes um, as I said yesterday to, to all the assembled media uh, and there was more than one this race, amazingly. Uh, he, he said if he can get the job done with, with third and have two good races today, then he would be proud of his season. And I understand what he means by that because ultimately, um, yeah, you can always score more points and you can always have better races and you can always either tough, tough time at Hareth after what happened with Jonathan in, uh, in that first race. Yeah. But yeah, I think he would be... If he finishes third, that's... Because he's a guy that's been told to go. Psychologically, he knew for a long time that he was going to be out, and he must have felt that the pain of that quite difficult. He lost the eight hour when they could have won the eight hour. You know, there's been a few things to deal with this year. Yeah, it was 24 hours where everything really turned from. He had won the eight hours for what would it have been the fourth consecutive year for him, and or, you know, um, for Yamaha, it was a massive achievement. And then suddenly you find out that the wind's been taken away from you. And then on the day after Suzuka, I think is whenever he found out that he had also lost his ride for next year. Obviously, Yamaha did try and keep him, but it was to put him onto a Tech Trois or a GRT bike rather than to be on the factory team. So he was still wanted by them, but you found out that they wanted someone else more than you. So it was, you know, from that point onwards, obviously very tough for any rider to deal with that. And I think that when you look at his season, there's been a couple of blips for him. Imola, obviously very sick at Imola. So that's one of those rounds, a bit like an injury for Vandermark, where you just try and gut it out and try and see what you can do. Horath is one of those weekends where if he doesn't have that crash with, with Johnny in the race, he could easily have had three podiums. You know, and instead he ended up with I think two or three points. So, you know, that's a, a that's one of those rounds where and he said it himself that you need to learn far more from that than you do from the good weekends. You need to learn how to deal with those those bad bad weekends. And that sort of brings us into the next topic, Gordo, just to wrap up the year as we see it right now, the bad weekends and the big disappointments. Like, what's been your biggest disappointment of the year? Um, in terms of riders? Riders, teams, anything you want. Uh, I think the, the biggest thing is we haven't seen enough, Top Rack's been the exception, but we haven't seen enough uh, people younger riders moving up moving on improving 
I think it takes so much now to get to a level in this championship, whether you're a team or anything else. Uh, the biggest disappointment for me is that in an era when the rules have never been closer and never been more level and access to the technology, the same technology, the same tyres, the same everything as the top guys have got, you can get closer to them than you ever can before. But the teams have got less money to even be able to do that. So what used to be attainable is now no longer attainable because they don't have the money. Um, and that, to me, is the biggest problem. The, the teams that have put a lot more investment in this year um, don't haven't left, necessarily left the championship with the results that they expected to get. And I think that's a shame because things are incredible even here, um, technology-wise and rules-wise. Uh, but nobody seems to be able to take real advantage of that. The same guys are the same guys, whether that's team, rider, whatever. Um, uh, I'm disappointed for Leon Haslam uh, because obviously coming back as BSB champion for Kawasaki getting a ride in the factory Kawasaki team that just hasn't happened and there's a million reasons why um, but it's very difficult to come back from something even as good as BSB even at the level he was operating and the people he was racing against the BSB and come here and also because of the differential in the rules and the electronics there's just a mismatch between what he wants to do and what the team are able to give him to let him do what he wants to do or to wean him away from it to a way that he just he spent his whole career, a long career, doing something different. Um, and I think that shows you the... Everybody says, oh, Jonathan's got the best bike and the best team and the best setup and the most money and the, oh, all this stuff you hear about MotoGP, Kawasaki, all this nonsense that gets spoken about it. Uh, well, there's Leon, a guy with huge experiences, won uh, multiple world super races, I think five. He's had 40 odd podiums, I think. Um, he's come as British champion and he's really struggled. So I'm kind of sad for him. It's, it's not a great way to finish his uh, if, because if, who knows where he'll be riding for next year. Uh, as you mentioned earlier, maybe it's going to be under. So I was a bit, it's disappointing to see that. And it's actually not got better towards the end. It's actually. He's had so many troubles and injuries and things. There's a million reasons why Leon hasn't done it, but it's a shame. It is a shame. He's such lovable people. Um, and he tries so hard. Maybe he tries too hard. Maybe that's all that's wrong. Yeah, I think that when you look at Leon's season, that's a good shout because he's had four years with Kawasaki. He's turned up as a wild card, been able to put it on the podium. He's done well, whether it was here in Qatar or Donington or mm -hmm. Imola whenever he was on different wild card machines. And he's done well, but this year was a tough year for him and uh, trying to figure out the electronics took him a long time and then the injuries just mounted up and once you get to that stage of the year suddenly you know you're not being kept on it's hard for riders when they get into that stage and you're trying to just make sure you stay injury free so that for next year you're able to start winter testing and be able to hit the ground running and uh, I think for Leon he'd say the same that it surprised him that I think he's only beaten Johnny once in a race this year obviously Ray's been incredibly consistent all the way through the year but for a rider like Leon a world class rider with that confidence that comes from winning a British championship and having been as you said Gordo a race winner here and championship contender here it had to have been a tough year and I think that's a good shout for a big disappointment for me it's hard to look past Honda we heard all the stories about yeah. how this was going to be different, how Honda were back, how HRC were making a big effort. And the biggest thing for me was just they never communicated what the program was. If they told us that this year was all about just getting data for next year, which is what it clearly is, people would look at that program in a different light. Instead, you're hearing an awful lot of rumours that 
you know, crew chiefs, engineers, mechanics are all being turfed out at the end of the year. They might go to Marawaki, they might go to other teams, but HRC is going to have a whole new box full of people next year. And that's what's a bit sad for me. Yes, I mean, we were all excited when we saw the Magic Three Lighters HRC uh, back in the paddock again, and then uh, under and and that being here means it's actually got the blessing of Honda Motor Company, which is actually the really big thing. Um, we were all excited by it. The trouble is, it's all happened under the radar, literally under the radar. But when we went to Australia and met all the top bosses at the the team launch. Um, that as soon as we did that and started speaking to them it was quite evident to me that this was going to be a, it's not a pleasant expression but I use it quite a lot a lab rat season this is them doing their homework for the new bike for next year for what is this paddock like again it's been a long time since Honda did an official thing everybody's done through Tinkata and Honda Europe so it's a very long time since these guys from Japan have genuinely been here in any kind of force other than one-off observation visit or whatever so I I had a feeling from the beginning. I thought mm, this is the, the results of the last thing they're worried about this year. What they're worried about is the results of the the, the data they get back, and the information they get back, and uh, getting a feel for the paddock again and the level again. The other people totally disagree. Strangely, the people who don't run Hondas anymore, who run a different bike, who used to run Hondas, vehemently disagree with that viewpoint and just say they haven't done the job that they were supposed to. They said they were going to do a better job right away, etc. The, the, the higher up the people I've spoken to in Honda and there's not many of them but it was the real guys in Australia and it seemed quite obvious to me that this year reading between the lines was going to be a learning year and they were going to do all their homework ready to bring a, a new bike next year and if any of the rumours are true about the bike then it looks like it's going to be something special even though it's not going to be a V4 that that is the best news we could have because that's going to be next year's Ducati, the game changer, a bike that moves on, even if it only gets to the same level of power as a Ducati, at least it's a different thing. If they built a V4, it would be a, a, another version of a Ducati. They're going a different way. So I think this year was all about next year for them, honestly. So Honda spent the year doing their homework, getting ready for next year. Now Gordo, we're after Qatar. What's your plans? Um, I think that the, the winter for me, I'm going to enjoy a bit of time at home. Uh, I'm going to try and get a couple of tests in over the winter. I did all the tests last year. I don't know if it was a great idea. Um, yeah, it was too much time you were spending with me, Gordo. I wouldn't recommend it. It's just too much time versus money. It's, it's a freelancer test that are hard to make money from. A race, you, you've generally got stuff that you know you're going to get, but it doesn't always cover the tests. It's always exciting. I'd love to go to all the tests. It's great to, especially if you're going to Spain somewhere and it's pouring rain at home. The winter for me will be about looking forward to next year we start very very early in the season so our winter break is actually feels a bit sometimes shorter than the summer break does if we didn't have that test in the middle of the summer break you'd come back and have to start again you'd forget what you had to do on oh, Friday what we're supposed to be doing on Friday it's a huge summer break we've got we'll probably get another one like next year so no I love the winter break even though the, the weather's rotten at home I, I enjoy spending time at home with my family and 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 just getting away from the madness of the racing I love the madness of the racing but I couldn't do it all the time yeah it's 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 the best job in the world like I was an engineer and Gordy you've had real jobs as well and they're uh, they're a lot harder than getting up in the morning to be able to come to Qatar go watch the racing and sit around and, and talk with 
talk with the people that you want to be able to find out what's happening out in a bike or what's happening with this that and the other so for me it's a bit the same you finish here in Qatar and you think oh you know I've got the, the whole winter ahead of me and then I look down at my calendar and I was thinking actually wait a second I don't really because I'm going out to Sepang for the MotoGP next week then I've got the Spanish Championship in Valencia then I've got the Valencia Grand Prix up to Aragon for the test or sorry the Aragon test is between the two dates in Valencia and then you go from Valencia over to Jerez and then from Jerez actually I've got a holiday so that'll be quite nice I mean I used to be like that I used to combine MotoGP at the beginning BSB and World Superbike and then World Superbike and then MotoGP and World Superbike and it just wears on you and, and you know you're a single guy that's fine you know you can do these things when you've got family and stuff it's difficult but I have got the best job in the world and I love it I've been doing it 21 years in the same paddock effectively with other things as well but I love this job and I never want to stop doing it you know I, I want to finish in a box a long time from now not one of the flight crates downstairs though Gordo well it probably wouldn't need to be that size but ultimately I, I don't I want to continue doing this I love it it's, it's what I really enjoy but you know when you look at the hours you do and the hours sitting on small airplanes at your own expense etc yeah there's also downsides there's no there's no there's no magic in the world it's you know you pay for you pay for your pleasures in every possible way and hours is long hours long hours of traveling and a lot of people just wouldn't care for that and they think it's all you know i pay for my own travel so i'm not flying up the front of the plane i'm up the back in the cheapest seat i can get um but the, the payoff for that is to get to work in a world I always wanted to do an endlessly fascinating exciting world even when we get the same guy winning the championship five years in a row there's always a change in dynamic it's it's fantastic to work in this world and I'm 55 year old and I work with young people who are all starting out it, it does help to keep you young get in spirit and mind it really does it, you have to keep up with them or well, try to i tell you what Gordon I remember whenever I first came to the Superbike paddock in 2014 it was for me and I was here at uh, Hareth with Neil Morrison and uh, obviously Big Neil another presenter on the, on, the pod, on the podcast as well but for both of us it was right these are the guys that are going to help you Gordo's going to be there and always really open for helping everyone coming through and it makes a big difference for the young guys coming through when there is someone that's established in the paddock that gives that kind of support as well and you've got to keep that cycle going David does the same in the MotoGP paddock I remember I was actually here in Qatar in 2012 I came to this race and uh, that was actually the first time that I met David and the poor man's been stuck with me ever since <laughs> same for you Gordo you can feel his pain but it makes me happy that there's new people interested in coming in. There's, you know, there's not enough of them in the grandstands. It's good if they're showing an interest in coming here and want to engage in it. You know, it's uh, there's enough love for everybody. You know, there's enough space for everybody. If we expand the world we live in, and that's what we should be doing now, trying to get this championship back to the the level it was in terms of penetration and people understanding what it was, and in terms of people actually reading about it, watching it on TV and coming to races and engaging because you can engage with this championship and I think that's that's the big difference I love going to work in GPs but it was a completely different atmosphere it was much more elitist and, and closed off the people I worked with there were incredibly helpful and friendly and as nice as anybody it's not that but the atmosphere the feeling about it all was much more kind of rarefied and Superbike it's like going to see your mates we all take a job seriously we all work hard but we don't feel as if we're under any pressure walking through the paddock. 
you don't have to appear a certain way or whatever. And that's the big attraction. I think that's why it's easier to be like that and sort of like welcoming new people and, and seeing new things happening. Um, yeah, I, I mean, look, I love this job. You know, now we're at the end of the season, I actually start thinking, oh, yeah, man, I do love this job. I've not got to the end of, I think, 21 years. 99 was my first year. I can't do the math, so you might have to help me. But I think 99 was my first full season. That's a long time to be basically doing the same thing. There's a reason why. You know, I, I still enjoy it. I still get a buzz out of it. I still love to see the riders that won the first race coming up and everybody shaking their hands and clapping them on the back. You know, there's a, there's bad things in this sport. It's a dangerous sport. And you need to, I think that's what makes the highs higher because we've all had the sadness and the loss. So I think that the, the, at the end of one season, you always start looking towards the next one because it's a seasonal thing. It, it's a it's a year-long seasonal thing. And it, because our winter break's so, so short, I'm going to have to start getting my Aussie working visa sorted out soon. <laughs> you know, before Christmas. If you don't, you don't have enough time. We guarantee yeah. you to get it. There's always something to do. It never stops, even when you're at home. There's always stuff to do. Yeah, it's a proper the king is dead, long live the king. The yeah. season's over, yeah, exactly. the new season's begun. That's the way begun. you think about it. Exactly right. the, 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 it's, each of these is a monarchy. You know, the king for a year, next king. Or a queen in the case of Anna, which is another fantastic thing. What's changed in the in the time I've been doing all this and why do I love my job? You know, the women in my family, most of whom aren't really interested in motorbikes, every one of them knew that Anna Carrasco had been world champion last year. Every one of them. And they suddenly got engaged and interested. That can only be a good thing for motorbike racing in general. Beat all the boys. She didn't do it in a women's world championship. She did it in a world championship. And if that can be... and That's the next stage of development for all sports, I think, is that in a sport like this where obviously it is possible for a woman to be world champion, even though it's a very physically demanding sport, much more than people think, um, then that's another another thing to look forward to in the future. What might be different in five or ten years? There might be six women female riders in three hundred and two and six hundred and in twenty years it might be it might be even more. There's always something new. There's always something new, even in the year and now we've got where Jonathan's dominating. Yeah, what was new for you this year, Gordo? Obviously, joining us on the show, and uh, yeah. it's been great to have you. I know from all the feedback we've had from all the listeners, they've really enjoyed having your insight. Obviously, you're a long-standing member in in the paddock, and you've got lots of little inside stories and old stories as well from you know the, the so-called golden era of World SBK. But uh, at least we've been able to see over the last few years as you said, a new era and uh, hopefully we'll have you on the show again next year and uh, we'll try and hook up a few times during the winter to be able to get back up to date but uh, it's been great having you on the show. Mate, I loved it. I really enjoyed it and uh, part of the fun for me is uh, going back home thinking, I wonder how many people are actually going to understand a word I said uh, at all, you know, uh, just because of accent, etc. I do try and speak standard English occasionally, this point in time being one of them. Um, but I've loved it. I've really enjoyed it. It's a, it's a new thing for me. It's another new thing. It's another new thing. Is is all my work's changed? Here's a new thing for me to get my teeth into. Loved it. Just remember one thing, Gordo. It's always difficult for people to understand an Irishman and a Scotsman until they tell them to go fuck off, and then suddenly they understand <laughs> everything you're saying. So yes, exactly. I've I've had that experience many times. You start viciously swearing at them, you understand every word. Strange, <laughs> yeah. So thanks for joining us again here in Qatar, Gordo. And uh, as I said, hopefully we'll catch up with you at some stage over the tests, and uh, we'll be able to get everyone bang up to date on superbikes. In the meantime, we'll obviously have the Australian Grand Prix this weekend, the Malaysian Grand Prix next weekend. Myself and Neil will be out in Malaysia 
later so we'll try and get another show recorded out there and we'll include in that the end of the World SBK season the action from uh, Saturday here in Qatar and we'll be able to get everyone fully up to date on that as I said after that I'm up at the first test of the season in Aragon so we'll be able to see what happens with Gerloff having his first test on the new bike I think Redding's there I think Barney are going to be there with Camier we've got Lowe's on the Kawasaki so we'll have loads of stories from that test to be able to get everyone up to date and then obviously the news from the Valencia Grand Prix weekend so thanks again for joining us here from Qatar for myself Steve English from Gordon Ritchie really pleased that uh, everyone's been able to take the feedback on board from the season and hopefully the show's gotten better and better as myself and Gordo have gotten used to what we have to do and uh, definitely thanks to everyone for listening in through the season cheers